Good evening, brothers and sisters. How are you all today? Good. Okay, so uh, we are at page 93. Uh, we have gone through the Kalama Sutta. We have gone through the visible origin and passing away of suffering. Yeah? The one with uh, the hitman. Shirabasi. So, uh, this is still under approaching the Dharma. And uh, this particular section is on investigate the teacher himself. So, thus have I heard. On one occasion, the Blessed One was living at Savati in Jeta's Grove, Anatta Pindika's Park. There he addressed the monks thus, Monks, Venerable Sir, they replied. The Blessed One said this, Monks, a monk who is an inquirer, not knowing how to gauge another's mind, should make an investigation of the Tathagata in order to find out whether or not he is perfectly enlightened. Venerable Sir, our teacher, teachings are rooted in the Blessed One, guided by the Blessed One, have the Blessed One as their resort. It would be good if the Blessed One would explain the meaning of these words. Having heard it from him, the monks will remember it. Then listen, monks, and attend closely to what I shall say. Yes, Varabhosa, the monks replied. So this is the opening. Um, the, in this case, the Buddha is at Anatta Pindika's Park uh, at Savati. The place is also known as uh, Jeta's Grove. Uh, there's the background story on why it's called Jeta's Grove Anatta Pindika's Park. Uh, are you all familiar with the background story? Okay. So, the, the person Anatta Pindika is uh, he's a very is, he is a very kind person who has uh, been supporting the Sangha, the Buddha. Um, but not just that, he also gives to the poor, yeah? gives to the uh, desolate, those who are alone, uh, those who uh, are the needies. Yeah? So in fact, his, this name, Anatta Pindika, um, it actually means that right? uh, giver to those who are uh, alone. Yeah. Uh, so it is said that when he wanted to offer uh, a piece of land to the Buddha, he found this grove that belongs to one of the prince Je Prince Jeta. So uh, this prince, when uh, when Anatta Pindika requested for to buy the, the land, uh, the prince wanted to know how sincere he was. Yeah, he wanted to see whether he is really serious about doing an offering to the Buddha. So he he gave a, a very high price. He said, uh, for the amount of gold that is required. To cover the land, 
yeah, you must cover each each area with a stack of gold coins. Yeah. And Anatta Tindika just agreed and basically measured the amount you know, covering with gold coins and pay for that land. Uh, when Prince Jeta saw saw that uh, he was so sincere that I mean that's a huge amount, uh, it's not a tree room flat or like this place is a grove, you know. You can imagine how big that place is. Yeah. So uh, because of that he's very moved. And so he said the 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 park itself, which is the land, I sell to you. But in our agreement I didn't sell you the trees. <laughs> so the trees still belong to me. And that I offer to the Buddha. So it became a joint offer. Yeah, and that's why it's called Jeta's Grove, yeah, which is the which is the porridge, the trees that is on the park itself. Yeah, so it became a, a combination, and that's why in all the texts you see Jeta's Grove, Anatta Pindaka's Park. So, uh, in many suttas, the Buddha would uh, reside there, and so it's a very common place yeah, for the Buddha to be there. So you see the opening, he addressed the monks thus, monks, and uh, the monks uh, referred to him, Venerable Sir. Then he, then he highlighted, monks, a monk who is an inquirer, not knowing how to gauge another's mind, should make an investigation of the Tathagata in order to find out whether or not he is perfectly enlightened. So this is a very interesting sutra. Because uh, I think most people cannot read people's mind. Yeah, here to gauge another's mind means to be able to have direct access to another person's mind. In other words, uh, what we also call clairvoyance, uh, be able to read people's uh, mind. In some suttas, they say encompass others' mind with one's own. So, uh, so here, such a person should, such a monk should make an investigation of the Tathagata in order to find out whether or not he is perfectly enlightened. And then the reply is that they have their teachings rooted in the Buddha, guided by the Buddha, and have the Buddha as their resort. Yeah. That means they rely on him yeah, as their resort. Here is relying on him. And. Uh, uh, so from that, having heard it from him, the monks will remember it. Then the Buddha, this is quite, quite a standard formula. The Buddha will reply, then listen monks and attend closely to what I shall say. Yeah. So here we can learn something also. Huh? <laughs> yeah. The kind of, uh, is, you can see this in many sutra. Is establish how the monks would learn from the Buddha, yeah, to pay close attention, to listen, and to remember. Uh, Andrew, I start from four. Uh, four okay, can we okay. can start from four? <coughs> so just now I ended here. Yes, venerable sir, the monks replied. The blessed one said this. Monks, a monk who is and inquirer, not knowing how to gauge another mind, should investigate the 
kind of states. States connectable to the eyes and to the near dust are then found with the Tathagata or not any defiled states connectable to the eyes or to the near. When he investigates him, he comes to know. No defiled states connectable to the eyes or to the ear are found in the Tathagata. Okay, thank you. So, so this the 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 uh, the first set uh, to investigate the Tathagata with respect to two kinds of states. Yeah. So the first one is cognizable through the eye and through the ear. Yeah. So it means that what you can see and what you can hear about. Yeah. So. <clears throat> When he comes to know this, he investigates him further thus. Are there found in the Tathagata or not any mixed states cognizable through the eyes or through the ear? When he investigates him, he comes to know no mixed states cognizable through the eyes or through the ears are found in the Tathagata. Thank you. Billing. Thank you. Nancy? Uh, when he comes to know this, he investigates him further past. Has this venerable one attained this wholesome state over a long time, or did he attain it recently? When he investigates him, he comes to know this venerable one has attained this wholesome state over a long time. He did not attain it only recently. Thank you. Hold on. When he comes to know this, he investigates him further that has this venerable one acquired dominion and certain terms. So that the dangerous So, you notice that it's not simply just by what you can see and what you can hear. And then it goes, the Buddha goes through a few more criteria. Yeah? A few more criteria and uh, all the way down to uh, whether there are wholesome states or not. Yeah? Then also to, uh, to consider uh, whether... Here, when we say investigate the Buddha, the same principle can be applied uh, 
to anyone. Yeah. So the Buddha makes a point here that if uh, if if this venerable one has not acquired uh, renown and attained fame, that means he is not famous. Yeah. He is not well known. Then those dangers uh, connected to these two cannot be found in them. Yeah. And what are the dangers? Uh, for example, pride. Yeah. Uh, for example, mm, uh, attachment to servitude and so on. Yeah. Because once you have uh, renown, you are renowned and you have fame, then uh, there will be this danger of arising of pride, and then there'll be a lot of uh, uh, what do you call that? Ningwen Liyang. So the 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 offerings, yeah, uh, material benefit, and all those things will come. Then um, easy to become uh, attached to it. But here the Buddha is highlighting that if you investigate him. Uh, you will come to know thus that this venerable one has acquired renown and attained fame, but the dangers connected to re- with renown and uh, fame are not found in him. Yeah. So it, it means that if you, if a person is uh, well known and has fame, then and you can find those dangers, then this person is probably not enlightened. Yeah, quite obvious, huh? When he comes to know this, he investigates him further task. Is this venerable one restrained without fear, not restrained by fear? And does he avoid indulging in sensual pleasures because he is without lust through the destruction of lusts? When he investigates him, he comes to know this venerable one is restrained without fear not restrained by fear, and he avoids indulging in sensual pleasure because he is without loss to the destruction of loss. Mm. So here there are two parts. One is restraint and uh, avoiding indulgence yeah, in sensual pleasures. So <clears throat> restraint here refers to restraint, let's say, through the precepts, restraint uh, of the senses and so on. Yeah. So. There are those who practice restraint uh, because out of fear of reproach by others, out of fear of uh, like karmic consequences. But in this case, uh, the Buddha is restrained without fear. Yeah. Uh, why? Because it is that he has removed those craving. Yeah. So he is automatically restrained with, without uh, the without the need of or the fear of reproach, then he practiced restraint. Yeah. Then similarly for sensual pleasures, uh, it is not that... Uh, <clears throat> so he he avoids indulging in sensual pleasure here, yeah, um, because he has actually uh, removed the, the, the last already. The root, very root, for him to have sensual pleasure uh, is actually removed. Yeah. Uh, whereas there are those who avoid indulging in sensual pleasure but still have lust. But as part of the practice, uh, 
try to uh, avoid. Uh, so this this part is about saying whether this person is still training or not training. Both person uh, on the surface, both may be restrained, both may be uh, may not indulge in sensual pleasures, uh, but one is still training, then the other one is not training anymore. Yeah, in this case, the Buddha being at, at the great Arahant already, yeah, he is the Arahant. Yeah. So he is someone who is restrained without fear and someone who avoids indulgence in sensual pleasures uh, because of that removal, the destruction of lust. Uh, a parallel would be what I probably have covered before uh, on the five precepts previously about how uh, when we first learn about the precepts, we practice restraint, not to kill. Yeah? Not to kill. <coughs> uh, for the Arahans, they, they also don't kill. But for them, it is not uh, because of the fear of reproach or, oh, if I kill, then there's negative karma and so on. But for them, it, has, it is because they have removed the cause for killing. Yeah, no more hatred inside them, so there's no reason to kill. Yeah, similarly, for indulging in sensual pleasures, uh, when we go for retreat, then, okay, okay, for one day, one night, uh, okay, I don't indulge in sensual pleasure. Yeah, but not that we don't want. Yeah, well, we want, but okay, retreat, I have to, you know. Yeah, but for Arahans, all the time they are not indulging. Yeah, because we don't see any value in that. The, the root of sensual pleasures, the craving for sensual pleasures is already removed. Uh, quite paragraph 10. You read a bit, la, then I will tell you to stop. Others should ask that monk does what are the valuable one's reasons and what is his evidence whereby he says. The venerable one is restrained without fear, then restrained by fear, and he avoids indulging in sensual pleasures, because he is without lust through the destruction of lust. Answering rightly, that monk will answer thus, whether that venerable one dwells in the Sangha or alone, for some they are well-behaved and some are ill-behaved, and some they teach a group while some are soon concerned about material things and some are unsounded by material things still that valuable one does not despise anyone because of that and I have heard and <coughs> this from the blessed one uh, own, own lips I am restrained without fear not restrained by fear and I avoid indulging in sensual pleasures because I am without lust through the destruction of lust thank you very good. So the there's something to do with whether you are with the Sangha or not without or without the Sangha, yeah, the, the Buddha do not have that problem. Yeah. Whereas um, for 
so as I mentioned, uh, out of fear of reproach. Yeah, so for someone who is still training, uh, then staying in the Sangha, or then if you do something wrong, the Sangha would reproach you. Hey, you cannot do this. Okay. And one too many times, okay, okay, but better don't do. Yeah. But whether staying with or without Sangha, then there are those who can uh, be well behaved, there are those who can who are ill behaved. Whether that venerable one dwells in the Sangha or alone, while some there are well behaved and some are ill behaved, and some there teach a group, while some here are seen concerned about material things and some are unsullied by material things. Yeah, so there are different different uh, Sangha members, in other words, yeah, who some are restrained, some are not restrained, some indulge in sensual pleasure, some don't. Still, that venerable one does not despise anyone because of that. And I have heard and learned this from the blessed one's own lips. I'm restrained without fear, not restrained by fear. And in, I, and I avoid indulging in sensual pleasures because I am without lust through the destruction of lust. Let's look at note 15. There's a footnote here for this. So, this statement shows the Buddha's impartiality. He does not extol some and disparage others. Yes. So, if you look at the notes, Page for all three two. Yeah, so on top it always says notes to pages, the range. Yeah, so we are now at page ninety five. So you look at page four three two, then it says notes to pages eighty nine to ninety seven. Oh, then note fifteen. Yeah. So note fourteen, as I mentioned earlier, yeah, dangers are conceit and arrogance. There's no mention about the the uh, offerings, eh? the footnote, yeah, but mainly on the the ego and pride, conceit and arrogance. Okay, so um, para eleven, the Tathagata monks should be questioned further about that task. Are they found in the Tathagata? Or, or not, uh, any default states cognizable through the eye or through the ear. The Tathagata would answer thus, no default states cognizable through the eye or through the ear are found in the Tathagata. So uh, this is one round already. Right so initially it is to investigate, yeah. Uh, but here is to be Question directly, eh? mm. so to ask directly, <laughs> yeah. Then, mm, okay, Andrew, continue. <clears throat> if asked, are they found in the Tathagata or not any mixed states cognizable through the eyes or through the ear? The 
the Tathagata would answer thus, No big sticks cognizable to the eyes or to the ear are found in the Tathagata. Thank you. Doing? He's asked, are there found in the Tathagata or not plain sticks cognizable through the eyes or through the ears? The Tathagata would answer thus, plain sticks cognizable through the eyes or through the ears are found in the Tathagata. They are my pathway and my domain. Yet I do not identify with them. Monks, a disciple, should approach the teacher who speaks thus in order to hear the Dharma. The teacher teaches him the Dharma with his successively higher levels, with his successively more sublime levels, with his dark and bright counterparts. As the teacher teaches the Dharma to a monk in this way, through direct knowledge of a certain teaching here in that Dharma, the monk comes to a conclusion about the teaching. He plays confident in the teacher task. The blessed one is perfectly enlightened. The Dhamma is well proclaimed by the blessed one. The Sangha is practicing the good way. Thank you. So beyond beyond the 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 Buddha's states, then it goes on to the the teachings itself. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> He says they are my pathway and my domain, yet I do not identify with them. What does he mean by that? Mm. So here, if asked, are there found in the Tathagata or any or not planned states cognizable through the eye or through the ear, the Tathagata would answer thus, planned states cognizable through the eye or through the ear are found in the Tathagata. They are my pathway and my domain, yet I do not identify with them. Um, it may well mean, uh, refer to like, um, the, you know, the six, the five senses, mm-hmm. yeah, through which uh, we see the world, we hear of the world. In which case then, uh, it's not so much what we see or hear of the Buddha, but when you look at the Buddha and he see things and hear things, yeah, uh, whether, oh, let's say, ugly person walk past the Buddha and beautiful person walk past, yeah, or someone say nice things, then the Buddha, mm, sadhu, 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 ah, speak very well. Then someone who kind of criticize then immediately, uh, so, so this should be it. Huh? So while while the Buddha, uh, uh, in a way, interact with this world, um, just like any of us, you can see and hear, but uh, the Buddha does not identify with them. In other words, uh, does not uh, interact with attachment. So whatever people say about him, he do not identify with that as me, mine, or myself. 
see. Now if others should ask the monk, that monk has, what are the venerable one's reason? And what is his evidence whereby he says, the Blessed One is perfectly enlightened, the Dharma is well proclaimed by the Blessed One, the Sangha is practicing the good way. Answering rightly, that monk would answer us, Dear friends, I approach the Blessed One in order to hear the Dharma. The Blessed One taught me the Dharma with his successively high le higher levels, with his successively more sublime levels, with his dark and bright outer parts. As the Blessed One taught the Dharma to me in this way, through direct knowledge of a certain teaching here in that Dharma, I came to a conclusion about the teaching. I place confidence in the teacher task. The Blessed One is perfectly enlightened. The Dharma is well proclaimed by the Blessed One. The Sangha is practicing the good way. Thank you. Uh, just a note, the bright and dark and bright counterparts. Yeah, so uh, the Buddha will teach the wholesome Dharma and also highlight the unwholesome Dharma. Wholesome Dharma for us to cultivate, unwholesome Dharma to avoid. Yeah. So, uh, so that's the dark and bright counterparts. In Chinese, we call it the Hei Fa Bai Fa. So the some texts they actually use uh, black and white. Yeah. Okay, Poland. Monks, when anyone's faith has been planted, rooted, and established in the Tathagata through these reasons, terms, fast. His faith is said to be supported by reason. Terms and phrases. Oh, oh phrases. Uh, terms and phrases. His faith is said to be supported by reason, rooted in the vision, firm. He is invincible by any ascetic or Brahmin or Deva or Mara or Brahma or by anyone in the world. That is how monks. This is an investigation of the Tathagata in accordance with the Dharma. And that is how the Tathagata is well investigated in accordance with the Dharma. That's, that is what the Blessed One says. The monk was satisfied and delighted in the Blessed One's words. Thank you. Yeah, so this is from the Majjhima Nikaya, uh, Sutta 47, Vimam Saka Sutta. Yeah. So, the Majjhima Nikaya is also known as the Middle Length Discourse. Oh. So, the last part, monks, when anyone's faith has been planted, rooted, and established in the Tathagata through these reasons, terms, and phrases, his faith is said to, to be supported by reasons, rooted in vision, firm. It is invincible by any ascetic or Brahmin, or Deva or Brahma, or Deva or Mara, or Brahma or by anyone in the world. So this part here is about how um, it, if someone were to uh, were to have faith uh, in the Buddha uh, in this way, then the faith is uh, 
is planted, rooted, and established through reasons, terms, and phrases. Yeah, and because of this, it is firm. Yeah, there's uh, reason and vision. So it is not simply by hearsay. Most importantly, yeah, this is highlighting that this is not simply by hearsay. And because of that, because it's not by hearsay, but through reasoning and then through his own observation, then it is invincible by any ascetic or Brahmin and so on. Uh, this means that if anybody come and challenge such a person and say, hey, actually the Buddha is not so good, you know, uh, such a person's faith is not, will not be shaken. Yeah? Whereas if, if it's an emotional thing, yeah, you attend a talk, you attend a puja, you see the Buddha image, wow, very big, then you feel, wow, I have a lot of faith. If someone else built a bigger statue of another uh, like religious artifact, yeah, then you may uh, our Buddha is not so big. Uh. Or if let's say some people in ancient times uh, many countries when they fight each other they would uh, attack the capital and then uh, pillage, they would destroy the city temple. Uh, and, the, and it is partly psychological. Uh, by sacking and destroying the city temple, and revealed usually the, the god's uh, statue, they are asserting one simple thing. Your god is not so far. Yeah. Why? Because in, in, in most religions, the assertion is that their god is almighty. Yeah? And it's the biggest of all. <coughs> so if it's biggest, surely can protect his own statue, ma. Yeah, his own temple and statue he should be able to protect. Yeah. Um, in some ways, this is why the Dominion Buddha got born, ma. Yeah, to show people that Buddha is not powerful, cannot protect his own statue. But in Buddhism, <laughs> there's no such a concept. Yeah. When the Buddha statue is being destroyed. It actually brings out the Buddha's teaching yeah. that all conditioned things are impermanent. Yeah. So, um, <coughs> uh, in Buddhism, so why they always want to build the Buddha city so big? Why? Uh? Yeah, everyone you know like trying to outdo each other like that bigger the better. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know whether they were trying to outdo each other. In all likelihood, possibly. Yeah, they may well have been trying to do that. Uh, I, uh, if we look at it from a society or anthropological point of view, um, many times the size of the of the god, the deity, or in this case the Buddha, uh, is actually meant to reflect less about the Buddha or the God, but more about how powerful the king is. Yeah. Uh, we can see this in today's world. If let's say now, uh, so and so, uh, whether it's monk or nun, has many supporters. And then supporter A offer to, uh, let's say, uh, build a temple for you. 
for this monk or not. Then supporter B want to build, or, or supporter A want to build. Then build, or, or, or there's a temple but no Buddha yet. Then supporter A is actually, let's say, the richest. Then offer a small Buddha like that. Then people are like, ah, this Buddha offered by that one. Uh. <laughs> you know? So, uh, then let's say the second richest one instead offer a 50 foot high Buddha. Then, in the main hall, who, which one should be seated in the center? <laughs> Cannot be the small one, right? Then for the richest donor, he'll be like, oh, no, it's a <laughs> So, actually, it has more to do with that than the religion itself. And of course, in the past, many of these projects, if you go to China, uh, last year in September, we learned that uh, many of the the, what they call grottos, uh, were built by either the, the various emperors or queens, if not very wealthy uh, merchants yeah, who have the resources to commission the target. Yeah. So you see the difference in size also. Sometimes it's a, it's a political thing. Uh, so no matter how rich they are, they cannot be bigger than the emperor's honor. Or let's say the the merchant already built one, then the emperor wants to build must be bigger than yours one. So before you know you have gigantic one. Okay. So any questions about this one? This uh, this section? So uh Lee so in, in Buddhism, um, it's quite interesting. Huh? The Buddha laid it out very clearly. Yeah. You don't say, oh, just believe that I'm enlightened. Say, you go and check. Check for yourself. Uh, so next time you don't have to ask Sufu, hey, Sufu enlightened already. Huh? Uh, just every day, every week come regularly. Uh, you come regularly, then you can check. If once in a while come, then hang hang, or Sufu, or perfect that day, then you end up with the wrong conclusion. Come every week, then you check. Okay. Yeah, but of course, when you check, you must make sure that your ruler is straight. Huh? <laughs> Don't come with the saying at ruler, then you measure wrongly. Okay. So, steps toward the realization of truth. So, from the the, the various chapters up to the the, the, the teacher himself and now uh, part of the Dharma yeah. towards the realization of truth because ultimately the Dharma serves as an, a means to an end. Yeah. Then the Brahmin Chanti together with a large company of Brahmins went to the Blessed One, exchanged greetings with him and sat down at one side. If just now, where did we stop? Uh? Who, who was the last person? You know. Now, on that occasion, the Blessed One was seated, finishing some amiable talk to some very senior Brahmins. At that time, at the time, sitting in the assembly, was a Brahmin student named Kapatika. Young, shaven-headed, 16 years old, he was a master of the three Vedas, with their vocabularies, liturgy, phonology, 
and etymology, and the histories as a fifth. Skilled in philology and grammar, he was fully versed in natural philosophy and in the marks of a great man. While the very senior Brahmins were conversing with the Blessed One, he repeatedly broke in and interrupted their talk. Then the Blessed One rebuked the Brahmin student Kapatika Tas. The Honorable Bharadvaja wouldn't or shouldn't break in and interrupt the talk of the very senior Brahmins while they are conversing. He should wait until the talk is finished. So here you, you see the mention of the three Vedas. Yeah. Uh, today we recognize uh, we talk about four Vedas. Yeah. So here yeah, there's mention about vocabularies we all know. Huh? Liturgy are basically verses where they recite, yeah, like for usually for rituals and ceremonies. Phonology, etymology is the the roots of words. Yeah, phonology I believe it refers to the sound. Yeah, and then and the histories as a fifth. Yeah. Still in philology, what wow, this is quite shima. What is philology? Philo is to I think it's to think. Huh? What is philology? Let me check. Philology. Philology. Yeah. Uh, philology is the study of language in written historical sources. Yeah. Cannot anyhow guess on uh, this kind of word. <laughs> yeah. Philology and grammar. Yeah. He was fully versed in natural philosophy and in the great marks of a great man. Yeah. The marks of a great man is something that was known uh, before the Buddha was even born. That's why when he was born, the ascetics, the, those uh, religious people that the king asked to come and examine the Buddha, uh, was able to say, ah, this, this uh, boy, this young baby, uh, he has the mark of a great man. Yeah? So the marks of a great man is something that was a common knowledge for the Indians back then. So this, this, uh, while the very senior Brahmins, yeah, so here you see that the Brahmins would sometimes go and visit the Buddha and talk to the Buddha, yeah, converse with him, have dialogue with him, ask him questions, consult him on things. Uh, and here it's saying, finishing some amiable talk. Yeah, that means the conversation is uh, cordial, they are not quarreling, yeah, uh, they are not having fierce debate. But in some other sutras, you find that the Brahmins, when they come to see the Buddha, uh, they, they are there to ask questions and challenge the Buddha. Yeah. So here, there's this uh, young Brahmin called uh, Kapatika. Yeah. So Kapatika keep on wanting to break in and interrupt the talk. So the Buddha don't say, Ah, Ami, like come. Then the Blessed One rebuked the Brahmin student Tapatika Tas. Yeah. So the, the Buddha actually um, held him off, in other words, yeah. that he should wait and until they are done. Yeah. But interestingly, let's see what happened. Doreen? When this was said, the Brahmin 
Kenki said to the blessed one, Master Gotama shouldn't reboot the Brahmin student, Sapatika. This Brahmin yeah, student... Repeat the word. Hmm? Repeat the word. Kapatika. Kapatika. Yeah. This Brahmin student is very learned. He has a good delivery. He is wise. He can well take part in this discussion with Master Gotama. With what? Master Gotama. Yeah. Okay. Alright. Uh quack. If us if us are this uh, are they found in the uh, no no page one page ninety seven. Then the blessed one thought. Surely since the Brahmin's uh Brahmin's honored him does the Brahmin student Kabatika must be accomplished in the scriptures of the three Vedas. Then the, then the Brahmin student Kavitika thought, when the aesthetic Gautama catches my eye, I shall, not, I shall ask him a question. Thank you. So, the, the, um, the, Brahm, the Brahmin Chanki, uh, who was talking to the Buddha, actually uh, spoke up for the young Brahmin student, Kapatika, yeah, saying that this Brahmin student is very learned. He has a good delivery. That means he can speak well. He is well learned. He is wise. Yeah. He can well take part in this discussion with Master Gautama. Yeah. So, it, so uh, Brahmin Chanki actually addressed the Buddha as Master Gautama, but the Kapatika Brahmin student actually think, when the ascetic Gautama catches my eye, I shall ask him a question. So, um, at this juncture, I want to pose a question to you all. Usually when we read the suttas, we, we learn about it and we, okay, okay, this is what happened. Uh, think about it. Uh, uh, in these few suttas, first thing, there's no mention of Venerable Ananda. But Venerable Ananda is said to be the one to recite all the sutras. Okay, number one. Number two, then the Brahmin student Kapatika thought. So this is happening in his mind. Yeah? Whatever is said, you can say, you can answer the first question uh, by, by what uh, was agreed upon way before. When Venerable Ananda <clears throat> was requested by the Buddha to be his attendant, which he served for 25 years, the, the later 25 years of the Buddha's life. Uh, Venerable Ananda set out, um, I think, eight different conditions. One of which is, um, he should be uh, told about the teachings that was given that is not uh, given in his presence. Yeah. So whatever that the Buddha has taught, and if the Buddha, if Venerable Ananda happened not to be around, the Buddha is requested by Venerable Ananda to repeat to him. Yeah? So he can answer the first one. But the second part, this is the, the thinking process in this student. Yeah? Yeah. So the only thing we can assume is the Buddha was able to tell that this is in his mind. Yeah? Other than that, there's really no way to, to know 
what he was thinking, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so this is something worthwhile to think about. Now I say this not to cast doubt, uh, to say, wow, all the suttas actually so many uh, things here, things there, then where did all these thoughts come from? Uh, but to no- notice this. Because yeah. usually when we read through a sutta, we just take it as it is. Yeah. So does that mean the Buddha can read mine? Oh yeah, that, that's, 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 that's the thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Then knowing with his own mind the thought in them. No? Yeah. So we have to assume that because the Buddha read his mind, then later repeated the whole process, including the thought. Yeah. Uh, so your turn. Eh, no. No. Ah, I already read one whole yeah. chunk. Ah, so it's your turn. Yes. Oh. Then, knowing with his own mind. Then, <coughs> then knowing with his own mind, the thought in the Brahmin student, Kapatika mind, the blessed one turns his eyes towards him. Then the Brahmin student, Kapatika thought, the aesthetic Gotamas has turned towards me. Suppose I ask him a question. Then he said to the blessed one, Master Gotama, in regards to the ancient Brahmin hymns, that must, that have come down through oral transmission, preserved in the collection, the Brahmin collections, <coughs> collections. Uh, preserved in the collections, the Brahmins come to the Definite conclusion. Only this is true. Anything else is wrong. What does Master Gotama say about this? Thank you. Yeah, so this is uh, the opening for the conversation between Kapatika and the Buddha. And uh, here there's mention about this oral transmission. Yeah. Now take note that uh, in the Buddha's time, even for the Buddha, it is through oral transmission. Yeah. So because at that point in time, there's basically no other ways to uh, receive the teaching except through oral transmission. Yeah. But for the Brahmins, uh, we can see from various sutta, there is uh, this, this uh, value yeah, given to oral transmission. Yeah. And here we can see the Buddha, um, the back of all question that occurs in this sutta regarding his oral tr- um, transmission. Uh, Doreen? How then Baraja among the Brahmins is there even a single Brahmin who say that I know this, I see this, this is only, only this, this is, is true. true, anything else is strong. No, Master Tukama. Mm, thank you. So this is the Buddha's, uh, in a way, first salvo. You say that because this uh, Kapatika, so um, <coughs> the this young Brahmin make a, a claim, saying that uh, as far as the ancient Brahmin hymns, 
that have come down through oral transmission preserved in the collections, the Brahmins come to the definite conclusion. Uh, what is the conclusion? Only this is true. Anything else is wrong. Yeah. Then further ask the Buddha, what does Master Gautama say about this? Yeah. Uh, so this is interesting. So, so apparently, uh, the, the Buddha read his mind. In his mind, he thinks, Aesthetic Gotama. But when he speak out, he also say Master Gotama. <laughs> so interesting. Huh? You can see some of the subtle innuendo there. Yeah, subtle undercurrent. So the Buddha uh, <laughs> today, in today's society, if people ask a counter question like that, wow, so, so far, right? <laughs> like, hey, who can mean this? Uh, but the Buddha <laughs> just spoke against yeah. uh, He asked very directly, Among the Brahmins, is there even a single Brahmin? It, it, do, you, do you catch this? Is there even a single Brahmin? So he lowered the standard all the way down to, even if you say there's one, I'll be satisfied, you know? Yeah. But so he, he said, Who says thus, I know this, I see this. Only this is true, anything else is wrong. In other words, that is not just a claim, but if there's any, even one person who sees this clearly, that this is true and everything else is wrong, and know clearly that this is the case. Yeah. What is mo even more interesting, it's not just about the Buddha's uh, counter question, but uh, the reply from Kapatika. He actually replied, No, Master Gotama. He don't, he don't wishy-washy, he don't come up with some excuses, he just reply as it is. No Master Gautama. Yeah. So again we see a very reasonable dialogue. <laughs> you know? Yeah, when, when I read this, uh, to me, it gives me uh, food for thought. Yeah. I, I also respect the Brahmins. You know? Because they are, they are being honest. Yeah. Okay, dealing. How then Paravaja amongst Paravaja. the Paravaja amongst the Brahmins is there even a single Brahmin who say thus? Single thirteen paragraphs. How then Paravaja amongst the Brahmin is there even a single teacher or a single teachers? Teachers back to the seventh generation of the teacher who say thus, I know this, I see this, only this is true, anything else is wrong, no Master Gotama. So the Buddha, uh, uh, in a way you can see that uh, the Buddha don't want to just have a simple, like, okay, don't have a case close, but he gives him the opportunity to in a way, defend that claim, yeah, and open up the the door and say, "Hey, you know, even if a single teacher or a single teacher's teacher, yeah, tracing back seven generations, or oh, seven generations, we have a lot of teachers. How many teachers are there, right? Surely, if only one of them, uh, in other words, giving really giving him a chance to assert his claim, to to 
justify his claim. Yeah. But again, Parabhaja, he is also very honest, you know. Because seven generations surely done already, ma. I just say, have. You don't know, huh? That one you don't know, huh? Well, because before you, you were born, ma. Right? People nowadays always make such a claim. Yeah, because. Hard sure to, must win. Yeah, sure must win. Yeah, hard to verify. And just anyhow say things to win. So in this case, well, you can see that this, this, uh, Kapatika, he is really reasonable also. Yeah, and honest. Let's see. How then, Parabhaja, the ancient Brahmin says, Sears. Sears, the creators of the hymns, the composers of the hymns, whose ancient hymns that were formed, formerly chanted, uttered, and compiled, the Brahmins nowadays still chant and repeat, repeating what was spoken and reciting what was recited, that is, Atapa, Ramaka, Vamadeva, Vesamita, Yamatagi, Engirasa, Parvarbaja, <laughs> Vaseta, Katsapa, and Bagu. Did even this ancient Brahmin's shears say thus? We know this, we see this, only this is true, and anything else is wrong. No, Master Gautama. Thank you. So, from this, you can see that the Buddha is well-versed in the Brahmin's Veda and the, the, even this is all the way back to the, to the founders, huh? yeah? This is all the way back to the ancient Brahmin seers, the creators of the hymns. Not modern times one, huh? from the Buddha's time, not the contemporary one. He is now citing the very names, yeah, that is from the ancient times. So you notice, Varabhaja is there, yeah. So this is like, let's say a uh, pai. Uh, yeah. One lineage, one lineage, one lineage, and this whole group of people, including Chanki, Brahmin Chanki, and Brahmin Kapatika, uh, uh, they are under this this branch called Varabhaja, and that's why the Buddha referred to him as Varabhaja, yeah. So. Um, <laughs> When the Buddha speak in this way, I think uh, for anybody you'll be like, wow, this this aesthetic, this this Buddha know his stuff, huh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a few times, uh, okay, I shouldn't compare myself with the Buddha. <laughs> no, but I I must tell you also. Uh, not to compare myself with the Buddha, but to encourage you all to, uh, beyond learning about the Buddha's teaching, to not necessarily become super well-versed in other religion, but we should at least know uh, some of the key tenets. Because yeah. a few times when I have conversation with uh, Christians, happen to be Christians, uh, and Unfortunately, sometimes they are so zealous, they, even though I'm wearing monk's robe, out on the street, they come and act like, waylay me and try to talk to me and try to preach to me. So, I would talk to them about the Bible. John, Luke, Mark, Matthew, the, the Apostles, yeah, the four Gospels. And uh, quite a few times when I mentioned, they were like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, in this case, 
the Buddha asked this uh, uh, Kapatika about those ancient uh, ancient Brahmins yeah, who were seers who actually formulated these schemes. Yeah, did any of them? Yeah, did even these ancient Brahmin seers say thus? We know this. We see this. Only this is true. Anything else is wrong. And again, this uh, young Brahmin student replied, No, Master Gautama. So, uh, who's next? So, Baravaja, it seems that among the Brahmins, there is not even a single Brahmin who says thus, I know this, I see this. Only this is true, anything else is wrong. And among the Brahmins, there is not even a single teacher or single teacher's teacher back to the seventh generation of teacher. Who says thus, I know this, I say this, only this is true, anything else is wrong. Thank you. So, this is the like a summary. Yeah, this is like a summary. Uh, Doreen? In the ancient Brahmin seas, the creators assist the creators of the hymns, the composers of the hymns. Even these ancient Brahmin seers did not say thus. We know this, we see this. Only this is true, anything else is wrong. Suppose there were a far blind man, each in touch with the next. The first one does not see, the middle one does not see, and the last one does not see. So to Baravaja, in regard to your statement, the Brahmins seem to be like a foul or blind man. The first one does not see, the middle one does not see, and the last one does not see. What do you think, Baravaja, that being so, does not the face of the Brahmins turn out? Thank you. So, again, uh, gradually you can see why uh, in SGC, Sifu repeatedly say, Buddha don't, don't mean his words. Uh. If you want to make a point, he will really make a point. Yeah. Um, and this is in a way about interfaith. Yeah. But he, he's not. Um, like, uh, in a way, attacking, but he's just stating the point yeah, very clearly and uh, to highlight that, hey, your, but he, he don't put it in a, he don't sugarcoat it also. Yeah, he just say that this is like a power of blind man. Yeah. Today we, we hear of this, this uh, analogy of the blind leading the blind. Yeah. Here you see how the Buddha established this. And the consequences, or the conclusion is, then does not the faith of the Brahmins turn out to be groundless? So that's why in um, in Buddhism, we emphasize so much on uh, the path of where we verify the, the truth. That we cannot simply just believe, but we must go and verify. Yeah? And it's not simply through knowledge, then we can become enlightened. Yeah? Or that we, or 
listen a lot, you hear a lot, then you are enlightened. It is when you verify, then your confidence is unshakable. When you verify, it means that you see for yourself. Yeah? And that day, in uh, on Saturday, last Saturday, I was uh, sharing at the Exploring into Faith, this uh, interfaith uh, group. So they were conducting a training yeah, for the uh, facilitators. So uh, one of the, during the open Q&A, one of them asked, uh, because some of them, when they share, they will say, this is just my view. Yeah, Other groups, like the Father Bruno, he said, other groups may not agree, yeah, but this is how I look at Christianity and God. Then the, uh, Imran also had similar statements. So then um, one of them asked, so if, if you all say that what you are presenting here is one interpretation of your religion, so how? How in, because in future they are going to facilitate. So you say, what if, uh, have you ever encountered people who challenge your interpretation? And what if they don't agree to prove it? Uh, so they all answered uh, respectively. Then when it was my turn, I said, well, for us, you notice that, so I told them, I said, you notice whatever I shared earlier, you all agree. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked, I went through the four noble truth. And again, and I, and I shared with them about how I shared this with, in many places, and how um, again it requires people to be reasonable. Yeah. So what I would ask people is whether they want to uh, experience the the pain and suffering of aging, sickness, and death. Nobody wants. Yeah. People want to grow up, but they don't want to experience the pain of growing up. Or growing old. You want to be separated from the loved ones, come into contact with unpleasant ones. Uh, would you be happy if you lose, if you don't get what you want? Yeah. So, all these questions they were agreed. Yeah. And then I will ask them, like, so does this apply to all men and women? Yes. Young and old, regardless of the religion? Yes. Because it's effects of our human experience. It's the truth of our human experience. Yes. Then I go to the next slide. That's why the Buddha's teaching is not true. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, but I also highlighted to them that having said that, um, there are parts which you can verify immediately, that you can readily agree, but there are parts which require uh, uh, that first initial step of faith. Yeah. And this is something that we, especially we as Buddhists, we must be very clear about. Yeah. Not to fall into the, or everything can be verified immediately. Give you an example. How many realms are there? Six realms. Of the six realms, we can readily verify two realms, human and animal. Heaven, hell, Hungry ghost, Asura, not directly verifiable for most people at the start. Nobody wants to verify ghost realm, although some people can see. Yeah. yeah. Hell realm, nobody wants to go and verify. Heavenly realm, everybody wants to verify but cannot verify. Yeah. 
So how? So if if you uh, if you want to go and search for this sutta called Siha uh, Sutta, S I H A H A. Yeah. So in this sutta, uh, uh, there's this general called General Siha. So General Siha, he actually uh, he he asked the Buddha about the benefits of giving. Yeah. Uh, when you do giving, do dana, what is the benefit? So the Buddha described, I think, four or five. And then he says that the first four, he can uh, attest to it. He can attest to it uh, regularly because he has experienced it himself. But the fifth one, he take on conviction. He take on conviction. Why? Because the fifth one is about how if you do dana, in your future life, you'll be good. Yeah, so he's, he, he's, he honestly put it also. He don't say it must be correct. He said he take it on conviction. So this is something crucial. Yeah. This, among other suttas, tell us that we cannot expect that everything must be readily verifiable by ourselves. Yeah. It is not the limitation of the teachings, but limitation of ourselves. Yeah. The difference, some people may say, but other religions are also like that. Yeah, but it, in Buddhism, Buddhism is the only one that asserts that, well, if you want to verify, there's a path, there's a way to, for you to train, and then you can verify. Yeah. Or we don't say you must believe all the way and then, yeah, leave it, leave it up. No. So let me just search that sutta, and then maybe I can tell you exactly which Nikaya. So, Siha Sutta. This is in the yeah. This is in Anguttara Nikaya five dot thirty four. So his let me just read to you some part of it, okay? In brief. So he asked the Buddha, "Is it possible, Lord, to point out a fruit of generosity visible in the here and now?" Yeah. So the Buddha uh, replies, "It is possible, Siha." One who gives, who is a master of giving, is dear and charming to people at large. And the fact that one is one who is generous, a master of giving, is dear and charming to people at large, this is a fruit of generosity visible in the here and now. So this is the first one. Then, good people, people of integrity, admire one who gives. Yes. I'm going to just give you one, the one-liner. Then second, the third one. So first one is that you are dear and charming to people at large, and then good people, people of integrity, admire you. Third, a fine reputation of one who gives, yeah, uh, start to develop, yeah, spread far and wide. The fourth is, one who gives, uh, who is a master of giving, approaches any assembly of people, uh, noble, warriors, brahmins, householders, or contemplatives, yeah, he does so confidently and without embarrassment. Then a fifth, a fifth the Buddha uh, highlighted. At the breakup of the body, after death, one who gives, who is a master of healing, reappears in a good destination, the heavenly world. Yeah. So that's somewhat about, I'm just giving you all the one line again. Okay? So then here, the, the, this general Siha tells the Buddha, as for the four fruits of generosity visible in the here and now that have been pointed out by the Blessed One, it is not the case that I go by conviction in the Blessed One with regard to them. 
I know them too. I am one who gives the master of giving dear and charming to people at large. I am one who gives a master of giving good people, people of integrity, admire me. I am one who gives a master of giving and my fine reputation is spread far and wide. Siha is generous, a doer, a supporter of the Sangha. I am one who gives a master of giving and when I approach any assembly of people, noble warriors, brahmans, householders or contemplatives, I do so confidently and without embarrassment. So this is the first law. But when the Blessed One says to me at the breakup of the body after death, one who gives, who is a master of giving, he appears in a good destination, the heavenly world, that I do not know. That is where I go by conviction in the Blessed One. So just to highlight this. So while uh, the Buddha gave a lot of teachings, the core, the yeah, Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path, the first three Noble Truths uh, should be uh, readily um, verifiable. Yeah, I have given several examples on how we can verify that. Yeah. Uh, verifying doesn't mean attaining. So when we say verify, uh, the first two Noble Truths uh, we can experience it ourselves already. But third noble truth, Nirvana, we have an experience, but we can test the principle. The principle is that suffering ends when the cause is ended. Yeah. So, uh, test out this principle. If you test out this principle repeatedly over time, then your confidence in the teaching and enlightenment increases. It is because most people look at enlightenment as something big and after dying, then people will have question A, don't know whether enlightenment is real. But if you test out the principle, then it is like if you have a lot of dishes to wash and you try scrubbing, scrubbing, it doesn't come out. Then you find somebody come and say, hey, you use this scrub and this uh, detergent, it will remove it. Without cleaning up everything, as long as you apply to one and you scrub, hey, it works you are confident, you know that you can clean the rest, it's a matter of time. Yeah. So, um, where are we now? So, uh, yeah, so, uh, quack. Barra Baja, first uh, no. you took your the, stand. Huh? Uh, 14, number 14. The, 14, uh, the yeah. Brahmins honour that not only out of faith, Master Godama, we also honor it as oral tradition. First, you took your stand on faith. Now you speak of oral tradition. There are five things that may turn out in two different ways here and now. What five? Faith, approval, oral, oral tradition. A reason, cognition, and acceptance of you as a result of countering it. Mm, thank you. Yeah, so, again, I must highlight something very interesting about the Buddha's uh, approach. Nona. Ah, so I, I wanted to check up on this, this term cogitation here. Uh, cogitation uh, is also equivalent to meditation. Yeah. Um, 
But here, when we say cogitation or, or meditation, uh, Buddhism has borrowed the term meditation from the English language. Yeah, but here, cogitation means to think deeply about something. In other words, contemplate. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not blaming the Buddha, but I'm, I'm saying that when you read enough of the Nikayas, you start to pick on the good, good habits and style of the Buddha. You notice that the, while the uh, Brahmin uh, Kapatika is very reasonable and he reply accordingly, but here, where the Buddha cut like basically end the thing and say that, then your, your, your claim is groundless. Yeah. Then he threw in one more thing. The Brahmins honor this not only out of faith, Master Gotama. They also honor it as oral traditions. What is the Buddha's reply? Baravaja, first you took your stand on faith. Now you speak of oral tradition. <laughs> this is something that you all may have heard me say before. Wait, so far is the real reason. First you say this, then when I demolish it, now you say this. Then I demolish it, you say that again. Yeah. I, because I read through many of, I mean, the Nikayas I read through. Except for the Anguttara Nikaya, because the full translation only came out a few years ago. And you see this ha happening, you know. So, uh, so after reading so much and, and then having a lot of this, uh, dialogue, uh, the moment someone shifts, you, you are very tuned to it. Yeah. In, in debates, in formal debates and philosophy, it's called shifting of goalposts. Yeah. That means first you establish this to be your stand. Then when it's demolished, you shift it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's different. It is different if right at the start you establish five, five criteria. Yeah. Which is what the Buddha basically Kind of like, don't waste time. Let me tell you all the criteria, okay? Yeah. So, there are five things, Brabaja, that may turn out in two different ways here and now. Part five. Faith, approval, oral tradition, reasoned cogitation, and acceptance of a view as a result of pondering it. Yeah. So, he just leaves out, leaves out all five. Yeah. Uh, I, do, I cannot read the Buddha's mind, uh, but I suspect the Buddha probably anticipated that if he were to then question him or reply him about oral tradition, he will then, oh, but it's not just on oral tradition, there's something else. So the Buddha just lays out all, all five. Yeah. So, uh, so these five things may, eh, now is it your turn? Uh? Uh, yes. Oh, you're reading, huh? okay, okay. I, I get so excited. <laughs> These five things may turn out in two different ways here and now. Now, something may be fully accepted out of faith, yet it... Hey, no, wait, hang on. Just now, quite read, right? Yeah. After quite, it's me, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know, all of us so excited. Huh? That's good, that's good. Yeah, so these five things may turn out in two different ways here and now. Now, something may be fully accepted out of faith, Yet it may be empty, hollow, and false. But something else may not be fully accepted out of faith, yet it may be factual, true, and unmistaken. Yeah, so 
here he lists out the first one faith it whether you accept our faith or not it may well be true or not true yeah again something may be fully approved of well transmitted well cogitated well pondered yet it may be empty hollow and false but something else may not be well pondered yet it may be factual true and unmistaken so of of all the five different things criteria right the buddha is saying this five can be this way can be that way you know yeah you cannot say because it is based on faith based on approval yeah based on oral tradition based on reason cogitation or based on pondering then you say that it must be correct yeah so he basically just summarize it and say no 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 not certain yeah, not certain yeah uh under these conditions it is not proper for a wise man who preserves truth to come to the definite conclusion only this is true anything else is wrong yeah so the buddha sort of like cut short the whole discussion yeah leaves out all five so uh andrew let's see what uh reply we, we get from the young brahmin but master Gautama, in what way is there the preservation of truth how does one preserve truth? We ask Master truth. Uh, truth. Yes. Truth. We ask Master Gutama about the preservation of truth. Mm. If a person has faith, faith. Uh, if, if a person has faith, uh Baja, he preserves truth when he says, My faith is thus, but he does not yet come to the definite conclusion. Only this is true, anything else is wrong. In this way, Barabaja, there is a preservation of truth. In this way, he preserves truth. Truth. A truth. In this way, we, we describe the preservation of truth. And, but as, but, as yet, there is no discovery of truth. Yes. If a person approves... Okay. Mm. So, um... Uh, again, I must say that uh, although <laughs> although the Brahmin try to like shift the goalposts, but when the Buddha cut cut that off, his reply is also admirable. Yeah, he don't come and come out with something. <laughs> uh, some just anyhow come out with something. Uh. he instead reply accordingly, and he actually asked the Buddha instead. Yeah, in what way? Is there the preservation of truth? Yeah. How does one preserve the truth? Yeah. So it is in reply to the Buddha's question. It is not proper for a wise man who preserves truth to come to the definite conclusion. Only this is true. Anything else is wrong. Yeah. Uh, now, if you think about it, they they are uh, they are all religious people. Yeah whether you are Brahmin or ascetic. And for Brahmins, they recite uh, their, their, their focus or in their group, their religion. They, uh, in some other texts we see this, that they pride themselves in uh, recitation. Yeah. That, oh, this dates back to wow, so long, so long ago. So the, the whole purpose of doing this is that you preserve something from generation to generation, yeah, 
and then they claim that this is true. So um, the Buddha then says that it is not proper yeah, for a wise man who preserves truth to come to the definite conclusion only this is true, anything else is wrong. Yeah, under those conditions the Buddha has described. Yeah. You are preserving something yeah, that you claim to be truth, but you cannot come to this definite conclusion yet. Yeah, cannot. Yeah. So now this young Brahmin counter-asked the Buddha. Yeah, so in what way is that the preservation of truth? How does one preserve truth? In a way here, the truth here refers to whatever they hold to be true. Yeah? It is not that it is verified to be true yet. Yeah? But the Buddha is not going in yet to question whether it's true. Yeah? But if you claim to be a preserver of truth, yeah, there must be certain uh, methods. Yeah? You cannot simply base it on those claims. Yeah? So the answer, he preserves truths Truth when he says, My faith is past. But he does not yet come to the definite conclusion, only this is true, anything else is wrong. Yeah. So, um, in other words, you can say that um, I have faith in this way. Yeah. This is how we transmit. But you cannot simply because of this claim that, oh, only mine is correct. Yeah. Because so far you are only preserving it and you, you have that faith that this, this is. Uh, that the, the transmission and all those things, this is okay. Yeah, but there's no discovery of truth. Uh, the Buddha, from preservation of truth, led him to think about, about the discovery. Yeah? Uh, if a person approves of something, if he receives an oral tra tradition, if he, if he just a conclusion based on recon a reason consultation. If he accepts a view as a result of pondering it, he preserves truth when he says, the view that I accept as a result of pondering it is thus, but he does not yet come to the definite conclusion. Only this is truth. Anything else is true. Anything else is true. In this way too, Baravaja, there is a preservation of truth. In this way, he preserved truth. In this way, he described the preservation of truth. But as yet, there is no discovery of truth. Mm. Yeah. So, here, um, uh, so going through all five, yeah, whether it's through faith, through approval, through uh, oral tradition, yeah, and the key thing about the oral tradition is that it's well transmitted. Yeah, and then reasoned cogitation, that means deep contemplation on it, yeah, or as a result of pondering. Yeah, he preserved it. That means he preserved the teaching in other words. Yeah, but there's no discovery of truth. Yeah, let's find out. Okay, Billing. In that way, Master Gotama, there is the preservation of truth. In that way, one preserves truth. In that way, we recognize the preservation of truth. But in what way, Master Gotama, is there the discovery of truth? In what way does one discover truth? We ask Master Gotama about the discovery of truth. Thank you. Yeah, so, uh, now, 
the, the this Brabaja uh, is uh, intrigued, yeah, because the Buddha highlight that all the five ways is only good for preserving the truth, but not for discovering it, yeah. So now this young Brahmin is intrigued. So how do you actually discover the truth? Yeah. Here, Parivaja, a monk may be living in dependence on some village or town. Then a householder or a householder's son goes to him and investigates him in regards to three kinds of states. In regard to states based on greed, in regard to states based on hate, and in regard to states based on delusion. Are there in this monk any states based on greed such that, with his mind obsessed by this state, while not knowing, he might say, I know, or while not seeing, he might say, I see, or he might urge others to act in a way that would lead to their harm and suffering for a long time. As he investigates him, he comes to know, there are no such states based on greed in this monk. The bodily and verbal behavior of this monk are not those of one affected by greed. And the Dharma that he teaches is profound, hard to see and hard to understand, peaceful and sublime, unattainable by mere reasoning, subtle, to be experienced by the wise. This Dharma cannot easily be taught by one affected by greed. Thank you. So this is similar to the earlier uh, sutta, where to discover the truth, you need to, uh, but this part is still the preliminary year, where a, a person uh, uh, considering for a householder, yeah, uh, actually, if, uh, if the person goes, go, goes to uh, a monk and then actually investigate whether this monk uh, has greed, has hatred, or has delusion. Yeah. So uh, next, when he has investigated him and has seen that he's purified from steps based on the greed, he, he next investigates him in regards to steps based on hate. Are there in this monk any steps based on hate such that with his mind or best by those steps he might urge others to act in a way that would lead to their harm and suffering for a long time? As he investigates him, he comes to know there are no such steps based on the head, based on hate in this monk. The bodily and verbal behavior of this monk are not those of affected by hate. And the Dharma that he teach is profound to be experienced by the wise. This Dharma cannot easily be taught by one affected by hate. Thank you. So, greed and then hate, hatred or hate. When he has investigated him and has seen that he is purified from states based on hate, he next investigates him in regard to states based on delusion. Are there in this monk any states based on delusion such that with his mind obsessed by those states, he might urge others to act in a way that would lead to their harm and suffering for a long time? As he investigates him, 
it comes to know, there are no such states based on delusion in this mind. The bodily and verbal behavior of this mind are not those of those affected by delusion. And the Dharma that he teaches is profound to be experienced by the wise. This Dharma cannot easily be taught by one affected by delusion. Mm, thank you. Yeah, so, uh, uh, needless to say, the dot 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 uh, is what I've we've shared before about abridging. Uh, so the dot 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 basically can be can and should be extended. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So for example, if you look at the at page hundred, right? So the second line, uh, are this are there in this monk any states based on hate? Such that with his mind obsessed by those states, then oh. dot dot dot. Uh, yeah, so that is what we call abridging. Yeah, so what is abridging? Abridging means uh, there's actually more details inside here, uh, but uh, the the writer or the the editor uh, choose to put an ellipse. This is called an ellipsis. So with a dot dot dot, you compress the text. Yeah, so. So what is inside? Uh, you, you look at this, uh, obsessed by those states. So if you turn to page 99, yeah, turn to page 99, then you read uh, the last, the paragraph 17, and if you follow me, um, fifth, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, are there in this monk any states based on, on Greek such that with his mind obsessed by those states, yeah. So from here, it is similar to the earlier line that we have read, yeah. So then after that dot 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 right means that uh, after the by those states while not knowing he might say I know and so on. All these are actually uh, omitted, yeah. But it's actually the same in the next same, paragraph. Uh, same thing as the yes, correct, yeah. Uh, up to the point where he say he might urge others to act in a way that will lead to their harm. Because there's repetition. Also, uh, in 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 those books such as this, where uh, there's a lot of technical detail, mm. yeah, there's a lot of repetition. Then they will put. Uh, ellipses to do a bridging. Mm. Yeah. So this is a. Uh, they don't want to uh, repeat it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh. Uh, there are different reasons, lah. Mm. Uh, some, some, sometimes it is so that the book is not so big. Then other times it is so that you don't get tired out with the repetition. Mm. Yeah. Because when you read too much repetition, then our brain uh, usually switch off. Ah. Uh, oh. Okay, so um, when when he has investigated him and has seen that he is purified from states based on delusion, then he places faith in him, filled with faith, he visits him and pays respect to him. Having paid respect to him, he gives he gives ear. When he gives ear, he hears the Dharma. Having heard the Dharma, he memorizes it and 
examines the meaning of the teachings he, he has memorized. When he examines their meaning, he accepts those teachings as a result of pondering them. When he accepted those teachings as a result of pondering them, desire springs up. When desire has sprung up, he applies his will. Having applied his will, he scrutinizes. Having scrutinized, he strives resolutely, striving. He realizes with the body the supreme truth and sees it by penetrating it with wisdom. In this way, Radharaja, there's a discovery of truth. In this way, one discovers truth. In this way, we describe the discovery of the truth. But as yet, there is no final arrival at truth. Okay, very good. Yeah, so this sequence, this sequence can be found in various sutra. Yeah, starting with uh, faith. Yeah. So, but in this sutta, there's mention about how faith is established. Yeah. We usually just start with we must first have faith in a teacher. Then, with faith, will you uh, draw near? Then, drawing near, you pay respect, and having paid respect, you give ear. And giving ear, you hear dharma. Having heard, you memorize and examine the the teachings. This this examination. Um, it's a bit like what we call the contemplation part. Uh. Yeah. yeah. So because after that you see that he, when he examines their meaning, he accepts those teachings as a result of pondering them. Yeah. So when you all attend the class and Shu Fu came on highlighting, when you hear the teachings, then you get knowledge. Then you must go and contemplate on them. What you have heard, yeah, the knowledge, then you get an understanding. Then after that, you must go and cultivate the glorified. Yeah, this is not sifu anyhow come out one. Uh. Yeah, and that's why the the the, the sequence is such. Yeah, uh, then from there, um, having pondered, desire springs up. Here, desire is not desire for worldly things, but desire to cultivate. Desire, that means, uh, this is what we call chanda. Yeah. Desire for wholesome states. So, in other words, from this, there will be this, uh, uh, the, from the desire, there will come up with effort. Yeah? Only when you have, have uh, reached this stage will you have uh, strong effort coming out. Yeah? And then from the strong effort, you will scrutinize, that means really uh, examine further, and then you will strive further. Yeah, that means cultivate and verify. Then the last part, he realizes with the body. So this is a, 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 a phrase that we come across in some sutras. Yeah. But in some some translation, they just uh, uh, put put it as, or realize directly. Uh, so in the Chinese text, sen zhuo zhen. Sen zhuo zhen. So there's there's this thing about that means he actually experienced directly. Yeah. Also, it's not just a conceptual thing. Uh, in this way, there is the discovery of truth. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but not yet. But as yet, there is no final arrival at truth. It is now nine twenty. We'll stop here. So we covered from page 93 to page 100.
愿消三障诸烦恼，愿消三障诸烦恼，愿得智慧真明了，愿得智慧真明了，不愿罪障悉消除，不愿罪障悉消除，世世常行菩萨道，世世常行菩萨道，阿弥陀佛，起立。